in the early church, but also to learn uh, how to live as a church and as God's people in this day as well. And it is just packed full of wonderful truth, epic stories, uh, and it's just enjoyable following along, following this story. Last week, Jeff Pers- uh, Jeff Havistow, <laughs> I know Jeff very well, that's a mind freeze, uh, Jeff preached from Acts 15 and did a great job talking about uh, the importance of doctrine, that doctrine protects and prospers God's church, and that's much of what Acts 15 is about. And now with this week, we're looking at Acts 16 as this key doctrine was established in Acts 15 uh, and, and really made clear to the church that salvation is in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from the works of the law, that as that key Doctrine was established and, and made known to the churches. Uh, the apostles, Paul with his church planting team, went from Jerusalem back to the places where he had planted and brought this good news and continued on the mission they were called to. So we'll be looking, uh, starting in verse 6 in Acts 16, to follow this storyline to continue to absorb God's truth, to marvel at what God has done, and to learn how to model these truths as well. But before we read and look at that, let's pray and ask God to speak to us through His Word. Heavenly Father, we ask You to refresh us in the truth that we are amazingly privileged, Lord, to hear from Your Word. That You, the infinite, glorious God, have decided to speak to us. You are a gracious Speaking God, and you love us, Lord, and so you've given us your word through which you might speak to us in the power of your spirit, and we thank you, Lord. And we ask you to give us hearts to hear from you. Lord, would you give us hearts that are eager to eat of the food of your word? Lord, would you help me to serve your precious people and to, your, to serve your purposes, O oh God? I need your help. Lord, we know you're faithful. You are the good shepherd, Lord Jesus, and you care for your sheep. So we ask you to speak through your word and refresh us in these truths and lead us from this place in these wondrous things, we pray. Amen. Amen. Acts 16, starting in verse 6 and going on from there. Speaking of Paul's team, and it says, And they went through the region of... Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart 
to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. We are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do? To be saved. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and to all were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let these men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens. And have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates. And they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Acts 16, 6 through 40. What an amazing story. Packed full of wonderful gospel adventure. Um, Like much of Acts, just full of really glorious things. Um, 
Luke has given us this scripture, God has given us this scripture, uh, really in the whole theme of Acts, that we might see how the witness of Jesus Christ, the truth of his person and work, spreads beyond just Jerusalem, but through God's people, through their witness, empowered by the Spirit, to Judea, Samaria, and ultimately the ends of the earth. So he's showing us how this happened. And this particular place that they go, Philippi, is uh, very important in many ways. It's the first European city that they go to, so they, they cross over into Europe and bring the gospel there. It's a Roman colony, too. It's a very Roman place. And so Luke includes this story, I believe, to help us see that the gospel goes to places you might not expect. And it has just as much impact, whether it's Jew or Gentile, whether they are uh, informed of the Scriptures or not. The gospel is powerful and the power of the Spirit to make impact. And so we see in this story the gospel going to Philippi and having its way in a glorious way. We see three converts, very diverse converts. Lydia, the, the jailer, and likely the slave girl as well, representing the breadth of society and the gospel coming in power to change their lives. And the gospel shining forth in glory through Paul and Silas's life as they sing praises to God while beaten and bleeding in prison. So it's a picture to us of the fruit of the gospel going forth. What I want to do is I, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the fruit that we see, the glory of God that shines and is shared through Paul and his team. And this would take up much of chapter 16. I want to talk about that, but I want to highlight something that's of secondary importance. I don't think it's what Luke meant to be the main point. It's important for us to distinguish main points from subpoints, but it's an important point. And that is the point of how God guided Paul and his team. How God guided Paul and his team. And the lesson from this subpoint for us is that when we follow God's guidance in our lives, we will find that God rewards us with the showing and sharing of His glory. When we follow God's guidance in our lives, we will find that God rewards us with the showing and sharing of His glory. Now certainly, none of us here are Apostle Pauls, and, and, and perhaps none of us will ever see things quite on this scale, though God is the same, His Spirit is at work, things like this continue to happen. I could spend the next 40 minutes just telling you guys stories in the earth of things like this. So these things do happen, and occasionally we are part of them. But Paul and his team are unusual. This is uh, unique, what he's doing, what his team's doing. He's the Apostle Paul. He's, he's an apostle, and it's unique. And so when we look at the story, we are to simply marvel at it, and that's part of why we have this in Acts, just to read it and say, amazing. God is amazing. The gospel is amazing. It's wonderful to see how God was so intent on the gospel and is so intent on the gospel going forth that he did such wonderful things that he raised up a man like Paul and did these glorious things through him and his team. So we are to marvel, but we're also to learn for ourselves. So there's things we can learn about guidance. We can learn here that as we follow God's guidance, we're rewarded with God's glory. 
being shown and shared through our lives. So let's take some time to look at how God guided them. The storyline is such that Paul is, was in Jerusalem and uh, he, he was there with the Jerusalem Council. They established this key doctrine. I mean, it was already there, but they affirmed it, clarified it, dealt with any controversy around it, and basically said this, this truth, that salvation, so being rescued from our sins and, and set apart for God for eternity, salvation is in Christ alone. Christ alone is the one who accomplishes our salvation. There's no salvation apart from Him. It is by grace alone. It is a gift. Christ did the work. We weren't there. He accomplished it. And He gives it to us through faith alone. By grace alone, through faith alone. And that it's apart from the works of the law. The works of the law uh, are important. And how you live as a, as a Jew at the time and as Gentiles, we're not under the law in that way. But, but obedience to God is very important, but it's not salvific. That's an important point and so Paul goes from the Council of Jerusalem, goes forth. He and Barnabas split up. We heard about that last week. And then he goes with Silas, and they go back to where they had done the first missionary journey, back to the, the cities where they had brought the gospel earlier. It was probably about a year or more earlier. They go through those cities. They bring this important good news, and those cities would represent the cities of Galatia. And the letter to the Galatians would have been to them, to those cities. They bring this important news of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. To them, And then they go from that place to bring the gospel to other places. They go from that place, they go from those cities, and they, they, there's a major highway that leads through that area. And they've already been in the east side, so now they head west, obviously. Uh, they go west, and they journey west, probably thinking they're going to follow that highway where it goes. It ends up on the coast. It ends up in the coastal cities, Ephesus and Smyrna and Laodicea and these different cities near the coast. And that's their target. They're going to go west to the next big cities. That's what they tended to do is follow the major geography, the roads or the ocean to major cities. They go there, but then the Spirit of God forbids them. The Holy Spirit forbids them to go into Asia. Now, Asia was that area around the coast, not the Asia we know. Asia spoke of that area. Um, and I think we have a map, if we could show that map spoke of that area that was on the western side of Asia Minor. So the, so the Spirit of God forbids them. As they follow the highway that naturally would take them towards Ephesus, the Spirit forbids them. So they, they come to some fork in the road. The Spirit forbids them to go. So they head north. As they go north, they think, well, the next place along the road is to go into the Black Sea area. There's a lot of cities up there. We'll bring the gospel. We'll see it spread. And then the Holy Spirit, it says the Spirit of Jesus this time, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all the same, uh, three in one. Uh, so the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, forbids them again to go up north. So they head west, and they pass through that region without stopping and come to Troas. Troas is a port town, and in that port town, uh, Paul gets a vision of a Macedonian man. Somehow he knew it was a man from Macedonia, or maybe they dressed in a special way. I don't know, but he knows it's a man from Macedonia who is urging him, says, come over here and help us. They take that as the Lord together, understanding that, and then they head to Philippi. They go to Philippi, and we know the rest of the story, the wonderful things that God does. But I want to focus a little bit on how they're guided. An important thing, I think, for us as believers is to understand how God guides us. And I want to spring from things that go on here and, and, and learn about this for our benefit. And what I want to use is uh, three or five CS statements, just a handy way to remember how God guides us. 
uh, and literally can be a handy way. There's five different methods of how God guides us, and hopefully we can remember this as we seek God's guidance in life. I think we want to know what the will of the Lord is. How do we understand what God wants us to do in life? How does he guide us? So we can learn from Acts 16 on, on this. So there's five different CSs. These are borrowed from the Alpha Course. We teach this in our Alpha Course. Some of our Alpha folks probably have heard this. And I'm going to use that. And then add a sixth, I think that's important as well. First, commanding Scripture. God guides us through commanding Scripture. So the, the Scripture that calls us to obey. So for Paul and his team, before they had done anything here, before they were on that road wondering what God would have them do, before they were journeying from their cities, God had impacted them with his word. Now Paul in a unique way experienced the scriptures, right? He had Jesus Christ himself speak to him face to face. So he heard the word of God directly. And so he knew he was commissioned as an apostle to the Gentiles. He knew that his job from the Lord was to be an apostle to the Gentiles to spread the gospel to the Gentile world. So he was living under the word of God. But if you examine Paul's writings, you'll see that it wasn't just that special revelation that he had. It was also his understanding of the Old Testament. He was a man who knew the Old Testament. And much of what he says and does in in Acts and in the Scriptures is saturated and driven by the Old Testament. So earlier on in the book of Acts, he applies Isaiah 49 to himself, that God had called them as a team to be a light to the Gentiles. He knew that, of course, Jesus was that ultimate light, but that they were to be a light to the Gentiles. So Scripture informed Paul and his team in what they were to do, both special revelation, which we don't experience that, um, but Old Testament as well. The equivalent of special revelation would be the New Testament for us. As we read the New Testament, we understand what God's will is. And so they were driven by the Scriptures, by the revelation of the Word of God first and foremost. And that's very important for us to understand. I've got to talk about some of the other ways we read Acts and we see the dynamic leading of the Holy Spirit, and that is a factor that's important. But it's really important for us to understand, first and foremost, we are guided by the Scriptures. Sometimes I think we want the Holy Spirit to speak to us in some unique way. To, to write across the sky or give us some special revelation so, so we can just know what God's will is. But He's given us His Word. He speaks to us through His Word. He wants us to know His will through His Word. And yes, there will be times when the Spirit will speak to us in a way that's maybe outside of Scripture, but 99% of how we're to live in life comes through God instructing us through His Word. And usually it's not a mystical experience. It's simply reading and knowing and having the Spirit testify through the Scriptures to us and discovering His will. It doesn't have to be complicated. So, are you wondering what the will of God is for your life? Read the Word. Are you a young person wondering what to do with your life? How should I live? What should I do? Where should I go? Well, there's an entire book dedicated just to you if you're a young person. The book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is given for young people. It's given for us all, but it's given especially for young people to instruct them in how to live and what to do. And there's much in there, but probably the key statement in the the book of Proverbs for young people is this. This is God's guidance for you, young people. This is God himself speaking to you to guide you in your life. He says in Proverbs 4, verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. 
And whatever you get, get insight. You want to know what God's will is for you as a young person? Get wisdom. The details will tend to work themselves out. Most of all, get wisdom. Proverbs teaches us that, the whole of Scripture. Are you married and wondering, what is God's will for me in my life? I'm a married person. What should I do? Ephesians 5. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. A monumental task. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There it is in Scripture, the guidance for us in life. And there's plenty of work there to be done for us. <laughs> plenty, plenty that is beyond us to rely on the Lord for. But there it is in Scripture. That guides us if, if we're married. Are we wondering what to do for work or how to do our work? Well, turn to Colossians chapter 3 and it says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You want to know about work? Here's one of the chief things to do at work. Work hard. Work hard for who? For God. Not for your employer, not even for your paycheck. Work hard for the Lord. Are you anxious? Philippians 4 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We are guided first and foremost by the Word of God. And that's important for us to remember. Commanding Scripture. Next, common sense. Common sense. Now Paul and his team practice common sense. If you read and follow the storyline and follow the life of, of Paul you will see that they practice a lot of common sense. It was common sense, once the Jerusalem Council had concluded, to do what? To go back to the churches that might have been confused about it, right? I mean, they didn't need a revelation, a special revelation to say, guys, now the churches bring this news to the churches. It was common sense. It, It made sense. Paul was called to care for these churches, so he applied common sense. They gathered a team and went back to bring the good news. As Paul journeyed along, you'll notice that he chose certain places to bring the gospel. I mean, why didn't Paul, when he was commissioned right back in Antioch, say, hey guys, you know, we're called of God. I think God wants us to go to Iceland. We, we should bring the gospel to Iceland. I'm, I'm sensing, you know, a, an, an Iceland thing here, and uh, let's go there. But they didn't, did they? Where did they go when they were commissioned, the first stop? Cyprus. Cyprus. Who was from Cyprus? Paul knew Cyprus. He was from just above there. Barnabas was from Cyprus. Cyprus was full of Jewish people that probably had even been there on Pentecost. And know what else? Cyprus was close. It wasn't Iceland. They just had to take a boat across a little bit of the sea to get to Cyprus. It, was, it made sense. And then when they were in Cyprus, what did they do? Did they go to like a remote place? We're just going to set ourselves up here on a mountaintop and we'll just send out messengers to come to us and we'll share the gospel. No, they went to cities where people were. And, and so all along, practicing common sense. And they go to the, the end of the island, they go across to the next closest place in an area where Paul was familiar. And they went from city to city. That's how they were guided. A lot of it was common sense. And if you look where Paul went, he went to cities along major trade routes. Common sense. God uses common sense. He gives us wisdom. He gives us understanding. Now, we're not to be arrogant and self-sufficient in it, but we are to use it. We are to exercise it. And sometimes we can over-spiritualize our lives and think, well, we're not supposed to use common sense. I've got to wait on the Lord for a special revelation. And God said, I've given you common sense. Use it. This is how I want to guide you, with common sense. Have you guys heard the story of the 
of the uh, devout Christian who was in his home and heard that a, a major flood was coming, a hurricane was coming, the waters would, would be coming in, and the, this Christian prayed, Lord, deliver me from the flood. And shortly after he did that, as the water rushed down the street, a fire truck came by and said, Hey, come on, we can give you a ride to safety. And the Christian said, No, 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 I've prayed to the Lord. I don't need a fire truck. He's going to deliver me. And the waters continued to rise. He, it, it got, so it flooded his first floor. So he got up onto the porch roof and a boat came by. He said, hey, come on, we're, you know, we can rescue you. And, and the guy said, uh, no, 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 I've prayed to the Lord to deliver me and he's going to deliver me. I don't need a boat. And uh, the waters continued to rise. He was up on the roof. The house was about ready to be taken off its foundation. And a helicopter came over to the loudspeaker. Hey, we're going to let down the rope to rescue you. And he said, no, no, I prayed God's going to rescue me. And the waters continued to rise. The house was swept away. The man drowned. And now he was a believer, so he got to be with the Lord. And he came into the Lord's presence and said, Lord, thank you. Thank you that I'm here, but, but why did you let me drown? Why did you leave me? And the Lord said, well, I sent you a fire truck and a boat and a helicopter and you wouldn't respond to any of them. And I think that can be like us sometimes. God gives us common sense. He gives us things. And we, we, that's Him. And we're to be guided that way. So, secondly, common sense. And again, so much of life, God guides us through the Scriptures and then using common sense. God uses also, thirdly, circumstantial signs. Sorry for the CS, but hopefully it re- helps you remember these things. Circumstantial signs. God uses circumstances. For Paul and his team, he used circumstances. As they journeyed along, they journeyed on this road, and they got, at some point, perhaps the fork in the road, and it says the Spirit forbade them. Now, we don't know what happened. Uh, it's sometimes translated the Spirit hindered them. So it might have been an actual circumstance that happened. I, we don't know what. Maybe there was band of robbers that was up on the road and so they took the fork in the road uh, seeing that that was the Lord. Maybe it was just a sense of, of uh, the Lord leading. But, but circumstances led these guys. For, if you study Paul's life you'll see uh, so much of how they were guided was by circumstances. Do you know actually uh, part of the reason that they when they did the first journey, when they journeyed from the coast, they went through Cyprus and they went to the next city. If you can keep that map up that would be good. Uh, went to the next city. The reason that they went northward was because of an illness. Paul says in Galatians uh, chapter 4 that it was because of an illness that I preached the gospel to you, speaking to the Galatian churches. That would be the cities up there, Iconium and so forth. So how was Paul guided in that instance? He got sick and for some reason needed to go north. They think it was maybe a malaria type disease and so he went up into the mountains to get away from the coast to feel better in the drier climate. It was a circumstance. Can you believe that? Paul was led by circumstances. Sometimes I think we look at Paul and we think, oh, I want to be like him. I want to hear the Spirit. I want to see these dynamic things. But, but, but those things were exceptions for this team. It was the Scriptures, it was common sense, and it was circumstances for them. And God will guide us through commanding circumstances. He will, circumstantial signs, sorry. He will guide us through signs, through circumstances, through things that He does in our life to close doors and open doors. And I'm sure you've experienced this. I, one vivid memory I have was I had graduated college and I was involved with a Christian group called the Navigators, a great group uh, grounded in the Word. Uh, and, and my intention was to get a job uh, in the Hartford area and be involved in the Navigator community ministry. They were doing some ministry in that area. And kind of this new idea of forming a community 
uh, of believers to evangelize and make disciples. Looking back, I thought, uh, I think being part of a church probably would have been the wise thing to do, but I was not uh, so informed yet. And so I looked for a job in the Hartford area, and I looked and I looked and I looked, and, uh, and I, was, I, mean, I was going everywhere. I was just about ready to, to send out massive amount of resumes and just do anything, like you know, just get any sort of job there. And God closed all those doors. I couldn't get a job. And uh, so I sought the Lord. And right around the same time, I, I attended a seminar that talked about uh, God's ways in families. And I had recognized that I had been a very rebellious young person, had come to Christ, and had basically left my family. Uh, not, not in a bad way, but I just had moved to college and, and not been a part of them anymore. And I, and I just felt conviction. I need to go back and re- learn to relate to my family in a godly way. So those things happened together. A closed door, some conviction, and I w- moved back to Boston to live with my my family. And guess what? I got a job like the first week. Um, and, and everything was taken care of. And that was the job that I had for years until I became a pastor. So God used those closed doors and open doors to guide me. And that's part of how he works. He guides us through circumstances. Uh, and, and he uses those things. Now, each of these, th- each of these methods, each of these principles from Scripture um, need to be Need, none of them should, apart from the scriptures, which is very clear, uh, should be elevated in such a way that we say, well, he's a closed door, so this must be God. We, we don't say that. Uh, there's, there's the importance of recognizing we don't know for sure. We do know the scriptures for sure, but some of these other things we don't know for sure. Yet we need to consider them as well. We can kind of make the mistake, right, either way, of just saying, well, I don't know, so forget it, or, well, because it's a closed door, it must be God. We want to be wise and, and, and using all the methods if we're able to in light of the scriptures. So he uses circumstances. And in Paul's life and the team's life, he used circumstances to guide them and to direct them. It's wonderful to watch that happen uh, through the whole storyline. Another important point, though, we see in the story here is that God uses the community of saints, the believers. As they journeyed around, they, the, the Holy Spirit forbade them from going west and from going north, and they headed to Troas. And then in Troas, Paul had a vision during the night. And when he woke up from that vision, what did he do? Did he say, hey guys, got a vision, we're going to Macedonia? No. Listen to what it says in verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, what Luke is saying, actually Luke becomes part of the team in Troas. And what he's saying is that Paul had the vision, we concluded together God was calling us. He could have said, Paul had the vision and told us that our next stop was Macedonia, but that's not what happened. Isn't that interesting? This is the Apostle Paul. This is a man who, who, you know, goes into the seventh heaven, receives great revelation. He is the Apostle to the Gentiles. I mean, if anybody could have unilaterally said, hey guys, got a vision, we're on our way, it was Paul, but he didn't. He recognized that he was part of a team. Paul always worked with a team, always. And he worked in cooperation with that team. He didn't He didn't make unilateral decisions with that team with things like this. So as a team, they talked about the vision and they concluded together that God was calling them to go to Macedonia. So if Paul must make decisions in community, then how much more should we make decisions in community? 
And this probably is one of the most challenging aspects of seeking God's guidance for us as Westerners, as Americans, as New Englanders. And that gets more and more severe as we go through that list, right, in terms of individualism. Uh, Westerners, we tend to think it's all me. Uh, it's, it's all about me individually. As Americans, we're even stronger than that, than others would be. And then as New Englanders, I think perhaps we're the most, uh, of the whole country, the most uh, rugged individualists that there are. I don't know why all that is, but we tend to want to do things on our own. We tend to encounter difficulties, encounter decisions, and and just kind of cocoon into ourselves. We tend to think, oh, I'm going to reason through this one. I'm going to do the research. I'm going to think about it, and I'm going to make a decision. Now, we don't necessarily do that consciously, but we do it functionally. And this is a problem, actually, for, for many believers in New England. And New England would be characterized as a particular challenging place because of the individualism. We tend to make our own decisions on our own. We do it on our own. We, we drink our Dunkin' Donuts. We get the energy and we do it. We, we make it happen. We're going to figure this out and we're going to move forward. And it's not scriptural. If Paul had to make decisions in community, then certainly we must as well. We are called to be part of a community. And there's, there's two sides to that. One side is that the community needs us. So when we face major life decisions that are going to impact who we are and what we're doing in life, we must recognize we have a responsibility to our community. Now, that would be our family first, as far as our realms of responsibility, but then the church family. We have a responsibility one to another. We cannot make major life decisions on our own without recognizing we're part of a community. And our decisions will impact that community. And God calls us to account for that. We are responsible one to another. We are not independent people, just part of a social organization. We are in a family together as a local church. And so we must make our decisions recognizing that. But also the other side of it is that if we really think about who we are and really face the facts, we are very limited, we are very weak, and we are sinful. And so our ability to see things clearly is always Compromised. Hear that? Your ability, my ability to see things clearly is always compromised. Now don't be discouraged by that because we have a God who's good over it all. But that's the reality. And God's means of grace for you in making major life decisions is community. He uses all these things together. So we are to be people who recognize our need to make decisions in community. And so many of you do this well. I don't say this because you guys are terrible at this. Uh, So many of us do it well that we do come and ask for help. We do come and get counsel. And I'm not saying this meaning that you need to come to me with all your decisions. Not at all. I don't want to hear um, the minor ones. I mean, you you can share those with me about whether to wear black socks or blue socks today. That's fine. But, But the major ones, God gives us. Shepherds for a reason, and I I don't say this to validate myself, but I think for a shepherd, when there's major life decisions, God means that for blessing for you, to grant counsel. Now, if you know me and you come to me, I'm not going to say, well, this is what you should do. I'm going to ask you questions. I'm going to respect the context that God gives and the responsibility of those people, but I am going to dialogue and seek God's wisdom with you. 
And we need to do that. And I, again, so respect many who have done that. Uh, there's a family that's no longer with us, uh, the Dave and Lisa Noble. They were precious to us. Dave used to be our worship leader. And I just remembered, as I thought about this point, how well he navigated through that. Dave was a, a meteorologist. Uh, you know, those people get paid to be wrong half the time. And, um, and uh, yeah, sorry, Dave, if you hear this on tape. Um, uh, but he, he was underemployed for a number of years and he really wanted to be part of the church and he sought the Lord together and talked to others, got counsel, and, and, and the conclusion that we made uh, was that well, you need to find a job in your field. He ended up getting a job in Alaska uh, and took it. And, and he did that, though, in, in counsel and community. And, and we could send them with blessing because we, we discerned that together. He was responsible to make that decision ultimately with his wife, but he got counsel. And so we don't want to be. There, there's other stories I won't tell of people who have come to me already having made major life decisions and wanting me to affirm or not. And I, like, I mean, I'd like to, but I can't, I've got to try to speak the truth as I see it. That's not the way to do it. And I'm not saying you didn't need to come to me. We have care group leaders. We have godly people in this church. We have godly friends. But we're to make decisions in community. Again, if Paul needed to do that, we certainly do as well. Community of saints. Finally, compelling spirit. We see this in Paul's ministry, obviously, in a very unique way. Uh, But to recognize that even for Paul, he didn't at every moment experience these sort of things, but there is some really wonderful and wild things the Spirit of God does. And uh, we, we see the Spirit forbidding them two times, and there's some sort of encounter there. We don't know whether it was circumstantial. I think more likely it was God speaking to them. There were prophetic people on the team. It probably was a, some way that was very clear that God spoke, maybe more, more speaking to more than one of them at a time. And then we see this vision. They go to Troas, and there's a vision. So there are, in Paul's ministry, there are these examples of the, of the Spirit, the compelling move of the Spirit. And that is uh, certainly a, a pronounced thing in Paul's life, but not an everyday thing for him. And it is something that God works in our lives as well. We must recognize this. Now the problem is, as we've gone through these five things, sometimes we can take this fifth thing, which is important, and make it number one. And put our sense of the Spirit's leading above the Scriptures, above common sense, above circumstances, above community. And I don't want us to do that. I want us to be careful with this one. Because, again, we are limited, we're weak, and we're sinful. And we will put words in God's mouth at times. Matter of fact, anytime we get a sense of God, we're, we're going to, because of our weakness and our limitations and sinfulness, pervert it somehow, somewhat. Now, that doesn't mean we just say, forget all this stuff, though, because we see it operating in Scripture. But we must be sober, and we must avoid the errors on the left and the right with this one. On the left would be... Uh, looking to spiritualize our decisions and to, to be subjective. It's all about my impression from the Lord. It's, it's what He says to me. And we can take it to extreme degrees. There are, there's literature out there. There are people who pray and try to get an impression from the Lord what to wear when they face the closet. Should I wear that outfit or this one? Brown socks or black socks today? Now, I'm not saying don't do that like it's wrong, but I... I just think you can over-spiritualize it, you know. I mean, I pray sometimes like that, but, but, but I don't expect God to be speaking to me in powerful ways and, and those, those sort of things. God, God is gracious, but He's going to use these other means to determine your wardrobe for the day. <laughs> uh, 
But sometimes it's the bigger decisions too. We get an impression. God wants to do this. And, and, and we can make that too big of a thing. And there are sad stories of people who have done this. People doing horrible things aren't an impression from God. People doing foolish things aren't an impression from God. People running with a sense of call in their life merely on an impression for God. Now, God's impression for a pastor's call is important. I don't want to negate that, but it's not primary. It is not primary in terms of how the process works. And people can do this. There's stories of people doing things like getting divorced because God spoke to them that this woman is the right one, not that one. Horrible things. I read a story recently about a woman who moved to Afghanistan, left her husband, took her kids, moved to Afghanistan to be a missionary on an impression from the Lord. That was shown later to be false. So we want to avoid the error on the left, but we also want to avoid the error on the right. The error on the right says, well, God's given us the word, and he's given us these other things, and, and, and that's enough. And that is kind of good, but it misses an aspect of who God is. God's not a deistic God who just winds the clock up and leaves it to tick and just says, use these things to figure it out. He's not a God who says, your, your ability to reason is sufficient. It isn't. He's a God who's intimate. He's the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows his sheep and the sheep know his voice. That must be a part of our walk with God, this reality of being a shepherd, a sheep under a shepherd. And so he does speak to us. And we don't want to negate that. And we want to expect his dynamic voice. We only want to put it in its proper place to recognize that our ability to hear is very compromised. And so we must submit it under these other things. He will do it. He will speak to us. He will lead us. But we need to put it in its proper place and not, and not make this trump everything else. Kevin DeYoung and his, in his book, just do something, shares a humorous obituary. I think we could show this. Man, 91, dies waiting for the will of God. Tupelo. Walter Houston, described by family members as a devoted Christian, died Monday after waiting 70 years for God to give him clear direction about what to do with his life. Quote, he hung around the house and prayed a lot, but just never got that confirmation, his wife Ruby said. Sometimes he thought he heard God's voice, but then he wouldn't be sure, and he'd start the process all over again. Houston, she says, never really figured out what life was about, but felt content to pray continuously about what he might do for the Lord. Whenever he was about to take action, he would pull back, because he didn't want to disappoint God or go against him in any way, Ruby says. He was very sensitive to always remain in God's will. That was primary to him. Friends say they liked Walter, though he seemed not to capitalize on his talents. Walter had a number of skills he never got around to using, says longtime friend Timothy Burns. He worked very well with wood and had a storyteller side to him, too. I always told him, take a risk. Try something new if you're not happy. But he was too afraid of letting the Lord down. To his credit, they say Houston, who worked mostly as a handyman, was able to pay off the mortgage on the couple's modest home. It's actually not a true story. It's It's a humorous story. But I think it typifies us sometimes when we overplay impressions from the Holy Spirit. I'm going to wait around. And, if, and we interpret, we either interpret our sense of what God says as a mandate from heaven or our sense of God's silence as a mandate to not do anything. And both those are in error. He's given us his word. He's given us common sense. He's given us community. He's given us circumstances. Yes, we're to seek him, but not to elevate this to too high of a level. 
I'm sure for you, you've had experiences. For me, I, I've had God speak to me in dynamic ways, and, and God does speak through dreams. I, and as I was seeking to become a pastor uh, and wondering what the Lord would call me to do, I had a very vivid dream where God spoke to me in the dream. Uh, and and, it was, and I, I can't say for sure whether it was the Lord, but I know the dream, what happened in that dream, and what he said to me was true for my life. He rebuked me about, some, about my lack of faith is what happened in the dream. Now, I didn't become a pastor based on that dream. There was a large context of things that he had been doing. Circumstances, the scriptures, uh, the community of God's, uh, of the saints, uh, all these different things, common sense. And it had been a multi-year process. There were people involved on all levels, people over me, with me, people I served, all saying, Paul, we think God's calling you to do this. There were all these things that had happened. And then that dream came at a crucial moment as I was wrestling with what I thought God was clearly saying. And I was basically doing one of those things. Lord, just show me one more thing. Just one more thing to confirm. One more thing. One more thing. And guess what happened in my dream? He said, he, he, in my dream I was doing that. He said, you don't need another thing. You need to believe me and obey. And that was my dream. I woke up. I said, you know what? That's true, isn't it? And I took the step of leaving my job to become a pastor. So God does use that thing, those things, but they have to fit under all these other things. I've taken a long time to cover these things, but I thought that these were important aspects for us to understand, these five different methods of God's guidance. The final one, and I'll close with this, the band could come up, is that given these five methods, we still must have an open hand. That we are to ultimately to trust in the Lord. That there'll never be... Uh, a situation where God leads us in such a clear way that we know it's absolutely the Lord. I mean, apart from the truths of Scripture that are established, in terms of our lives, our particular lives, we don't ever know. That's where faith comes in. You'll never remove risk from any decision. And you'll never remove the need for faith. So after we maybe get these five things, we open our hands up and say, Lord, you're good. You're my shepherd and now I'm doing my best to make this decision under you in these biblical ways, but I submit it to you. And knowing that God is faithful, He will take care of us. We don't need to be fearful. Oh no, if I don't get this exactly right, He's going to crush me. No. He's provided for you in Christ. He's provided for your forgiveness before Him. He's provided for all your needs. He is providentially over your life, directing and caring for you. So we need not fear. We have a heavenly father who's a good father. I think a son or a daughter of a good father who is wise and kind and able is secure in their decisions, knowing I'm not afraid of my dad getting mad at me. I know he'll be there for me. How much more, as we know the father, can we venture forth? Yes, using these five methods, but knowing he's here. And I can trust him. I can take a risk. I can try something new. And he's going to be there with me. That's what happened with Paul and the team. As they were guided, they did amazing things. And I, and I don't have time to, to cover, but just the glory that God shone and shared through them, through this. I mean, wonderful. These, these three converts, the diversity that's there and how God shines His glory and winning all sorts of people. The, the ability in the prison to praise Him and the glory that goes up to God through that. And then the fruit that endures through this church. This church was established and was one of the strongest churches in the New Testament. And, and if you read history, it, it lasted for centuries. There was fruit that endured. And that fruit 
is in the form of people who are now with the Lord, enjoying His glory, and with their dear friend Paul. That is glory. That is wonderful, uh, wonderful fruit from being guided by God. As we seek the Lord, He will guide us. He will use us. And He will reward us with the showing and sharing of His glory. You may not be a church planter, but you're called to be part of a church that's being built for your children and grandchildren. You have a role to play. You have ways that God would shine and show His glory through you. You may not be the next Apostle Paul, but you are, in a sense, Apostle Paul to those around you, to your children if you are parents, to know Christ and live fruitful lives. You may not lead all sorts of diverse people to Christ, but you can impact many diverse people in the realms that God has given you. You can shine for His glory. You can play a part in what He's doing. You, you, your job might not be to be a church planter, but you have a job given from the Lord. And as you work hard under the Lord, He shines through you at work in very significant, important ways. God does this, and He is doing this in our church. Faithful moms and dads, hardworking students, eager, ambitious singles, foster parents, business owners, political activists, writers, artists are all in our church using their gifts to shine for God's glory. Let us, as His people, look to Him to guide us in these biblical ways that we might show and share in His glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You guide us. We thank You, Lord, that You're committed to guiding us. You've given us these truths in Your Word. I pray, Lord God, we would be a wise people who look to you to be guided. And Lord, would you use us as we step out in faith, taking risks, would you use us to show your glory in wonderful ways. Lord, there's so many opportunities before us that are right in front of us, and perhaps for some of us we need to take some steps beyond where we are. You have many opportunities. You know all of our contexts. Lord, we submit all these things to you, and we say, show your glory through our lives as we seek your guidance, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.